Welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I am Dale. How are you tonight, sir? Okay, a little bit of a stuffy nose. Not perfect, but not terrible. Not too bad. All right, tonight we're doing a very short novel. Mine was about, actually, I think it ended up being less than 100 pages on uh, my e-reader. Hmm. Called At Nights All Blood is Black by an author named David Diop. I'm gonna try to stay away from a lot of names. Tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Just so I don't butcher them. Yes. I believe it was published in 2016. I, I did that from memory on my notes because uh, I looked it up. Uh, but if not, it was 2015, 2016, 2017, relatively recent by a French uh, novelist of uh, Senegalese ancestry. He's also an academic who teaches 18th century French literature and also uh, African literature that is written in the French language. Yes. This uh, particular book, just a quick synopsis, is a first person narrative. By a uh, Senegalese uh, soldier who was part of the colonial troops fighting for France in World War One on the Western Front, and is essentially his descent into madness. Um, that's fair. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of just like a, a, a very quick summary, which explains why it's so short. I mean, I couldn't imagine reading. Yes. 300 pages of this this the style as well as the um the the subject matter so you recommended this book Uh, how did you stumble across this well i didn't recommend it i suggested we do it so it didn't didn't come as a recommendation i i hadn't read it before i had um i had read about it i think i read a book review of it okay and i um I tend to, uh, from time to time, read non-American <clears throat> and non-English language um, literature. This is a translation. Um, so a lot of, more recently, a lot from Japan, but um, also consistently um, works from South America and also uh, South American authors and, and uh, African authors. Um, it's something I've done forever, I think. I've always had an interest in world literature. And so every once in a while, I'll pick up something from that looks interesting and completely out of my you know, personal experience in history and take a look at it. And uh, this one was reviewed very favorably. And so I figured it would be a good one for us to take a look at. Yeah, I had never read it either. Do you recall where you how you stumbled across it? Like, was it New York Times book review, L.A. Times I, I think, book review, or something else? I think it was the New York. I'm fairly certain it was the New York Times book review. Okay. And what did you think of it? What What are your kind of first first impressions of At Night All Blood Is Black? So I think it's a. I think it's fairly straightforward. You know, it's fairly straightforward. Um, which explains the length. It probably has some cultural references that are um, that go over my head or by my side. 
Uh, and so I'm sure I didn't get quite everything out of it that, um, that I should have, but I did. Um, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, I think the length was good that way. I agree with you. I think if it were, you know, 300 pages, I think I wouldn't have had as favorable impression of it. Um, I think that the story told is fairly straightforward and simple, but the, the, the descent into madness has some really interesting nuances to it, I think. And, um, the ultimate conclusion of this, I thought, was a, was a was an interesting twist to it, which we can get to. I, I'm not afraid of spoilers here, I don't think. But um, and uh, uh, I thought also the author had some really interesting, just kind of things to say about humanity, about how we deal with things, um, and at least in the translation in a number of instances really turned a phrase quite nicely. So overall, I, I thought it was, I thought it was very, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it and um, would recommend it to people if they're interested in the subject. Yeah. I enjoyed it. If that's the right word. Yeah. Um, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not an easy re it's, an, it's, it's not an easy subject matter. It's a, it's a relatively easy read, but it's not an easy subject matter. And I thought uh, the end is kind of, I think there's a lot to talk about. I think people can have very fun, interesting conversations over some coffee in a, in a coffee house in Paris or Vienna or wherever, kind of talking about like the last three chapters. Mm. Um, what they mean, who the narrator is, and, and things of that sort. So there's, I think it was intentionally and craftily ambiguous. But overall, if you told me that this was an accurate depiction of someone descending into madness, I would say, okay. Yeah. Because it felt like this guy was, was descending into, you know, becoming, you know, essentially becoming, becoming crazy. Uh, I also like the, um, I liked kind of you don't you don't learn a lot. It's not like a it's not like there's a lot of exposition, but you do you get and I'm gonna you know for the sake of this I'll just say I'm gonna take it as the author um, has either spent a lot of time in Senegal, studied the culture and the history. But I'm just going to like, you know, all those things I'm just going to assume are true. So, well, yeah, he is. He is Senegalese. I, mean, I think he was born in Senegal. I think nah, he was educated I, in France or or he was born in France. And I think he was actually born lived in, in Senegal. Okay, I think yeah. he's. Yeah. But he's also writing about something that's over 100 years ago. So I'm just going to yep. assume. But I like those kind of I like those glimpses of of a different culture. Yeah. You know, I enjoy. I, you know, I enjoy that. Um, all right. So, where do you want to start? We have a. Um, well, let's we... get. Let's give. I don't think we've given the 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 actual context here. So let's let's do the setting. You know, the basic setting mm. and the basic right. story. I think it's a and... first person narrative. Yep. By a soldier who happens to be from Senegal, which is controlled by France at the time. 
and they can script. Um, well, they, I, I don't, uh, you know, when it, I, they don't actually say this in this. It's a very intimate story. Yes. Um, there's not a lot of outside kind of things going on. Uh, you don't know where he is. You don't know who he's fighting. You you can kind of piece that all together, but it's not explicit about where on the Western Front he's sent. He's obviously fighting Germans, but they never even say the the word German. You don't know what what battalion he's in. You don't know what month it is. It's very almost like a. Um, you also you also don't necessarily know which war it is. You don't really, do you? No, Except I mean it, it's obviously World War One because. Yes. But they don't even mention that. It's almost designed to be like a almost like a dark fairy tale. Yeah, that's very uh, vague and ambiguous, and could be, in a way, written to be timeless because it is not stuck. It, it is not bogged down by like tiny little details. Yes, um, but it probably is World War One. It's got to be the Western Front. And yes. France did, you know, all these powers did conscript people from the colonies. And I looked this up. There was 200,000 Senegalese served in World War One. Yes. For France. 200,000. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed there was 200,000 people in Senegal, let alone yeah. of the right age and gender to, to serve. And 30,000, 30, so 15% were killed or wounded. Serving, yes. um, serving their colonial masters, and he yes. is the narrator. Is one of these people? He is there. Um, he also happens to be there with um, a very, very close friend uh, that um, uh, they were kind of like best friends, but also the uh, uh, what was Mademba? Yeah, was that the friend's name? Yeah. Yeah, so almost like an adopted brother. The family took the narrator in, and he basically lived with his family, and they grew up like brothers. There were a lot of differences between them in terms of kind of size. Yes, the narrator is is strong and handsome. According to the narrator. According to the narrator, but uh, seemingly according to his his, his also his experiences, pre-war experiences that seem to... Well, his impression is that sure other people view him that way as well. Yeah. And his friend is kind of scrawny. Yes. Uh, but they served together in war in, in presumably France, world war one, but they come from the same village. And if I understand things right, families or clans have totems, typically animals. And the narrator's family's totem was a lion and the um, uh, his Mademba's family's well, Diop, right? His last name is the yes. character's last name, right? Same um, as the author's last name, yes. Was remind me, it was a peacock, uh, yes, yeah, right. A peacock, and they also use another term to describe yeah, crowned pheasant or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, and that becomes relevant, that becomes relevant later on. It, it it does so if i if i can just jump in and quickly so uh, there's a <clears throat> excuse me the narrative form here is um first person 
right? Describing things that happened in the past. And so there are multiple timelines that we're dealing with. Primarily, um, uh, this time spent in the, you know, at war. And, uh, but we do learn about their, their shared history, their shared past, and particularly the narrator's history um, through the course of his reminiscence and talking about his, his experiences, both at the front and then also when he gets sent to the, to the rear um, <laughs> because everybody's afraid of him. Um, and so everything kind of unfolds and it starts, the novel starts right out of the bat with kind of the central um, event of the story, which is the death of his friend who has been disemboweled. And then um, our narrator is with him uh, and his friend asks him three times to put him out of his misery, but uh, our narrator can't do it. And that's kind of the, at least initially the psychological um, uh, or metaphorical straw that breaks the camel's back maybe with respect to the narrator sanity, because that's kind of throws him into the deep end. And there's a, there's a lot to it that kind of unfolds through the narrative and his um, talking about his experiences before and after that event, including the experiences in his, in his childhood. He finds his friend, his friend's dying. His his friend has been essentially eviscerated. They, there's a lot of, um, graphic descriptions of um actually it's not graphic it's very blunt about the insides being outside yes <laughs> you know where they're not supposed to be the friend does ask him to put him out of his misery three times which almost um uh, reminded me of um you know how uh saint Peter denied Christ three times when asked if he knew him. Oh, right. I wonder if there's any kind of, you know, France is a very heavily Catholic country. Right. I might be reading way too much into that, but I think the three time, and he doesn't, he can't, he can't do it. He doesn't do it. And his friend dies an agonizing, agonizing death. Yeah. Terrible death. And this triggers our narrator to, you know, when they go over the top, the narrator will sometimes hang back and not, you know, go back to the trenches and he'll basically kind of stalk and wait to take a prisoner. And due to the prisoner, what was done to his friend, except he will, he will put, the prisoner out of his misery right after after (laughs) torturing him (laughs) after disemboweling him yes and seeing the look in the eyes he will will then do what he couldn't do for his friend and that all kind of is a really kind of fascinating uh you know i'm thinking about this and i don't know i don't I, i i i've never been to war i certainly have not been to war as it was fought, you know, in the opening decades of the century. I certainly have not been plucked from another continent to go fight, you know, for somebody else against people 
who've never done anything to me. And now they're trying to kill me and I've been told I have to kill them. Just doing the best I can to put myself in his position about, even though the novel's not a, really about this per se, like, like any idea what you would do or any idea what you would like to think you would do? N- not really. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is so, it is so. It's too foreign, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. it is, it is very foreign. But one of the things that I did l- like putting that issue aside, which is that kind of not really being able to put yourself in that position or understand it, right. And, and have some, some experiential commonality with the narrator. Um, there, there's a common trope in, in, um, fiction about you know going to war and the horrors of war, right? Kind of turning you, you know, making you crazy, right? Um, depressed or what, whatever it is. That's there's a and there's a common experience in that regard, right? There's post traumatic stress disorder. There, there are um, clinically identifiable right, consequences, right, of of these things. But what's interesting about or of the of, of of wartime experience, but what's I found interesting about this novel is that our narrator's descent into hell was very very it, the, the the cause of it was very very personal to his friend and his and his friend's death, and it kind of unfolds over the course of the novel the kind of the causes. It was, you know, it's initially kind of set out as the death of his friend in this horrible way and his ability to put him out of his misery, right? Then we learn that he taunted his friend, which they did as, you know, part of their camaraderie. But he taunted him about his bravery, right? About his family's totem being the, the peacock as opposed to something like a lion, which is brave, which caused his friend to maybe get out of the trench a little bit quick, get out ahead to try to prove his bravery, which resulted in his, his, his death. Then we learn a little bit more about the two of them and how the narrator is, um, uh, is, you know, beautiful and uh, strong, right? Whereas his friend had to really work to be able to, um, actually get into the military because he was, you know, too weak. Um, and he has this sense of his friend must have been naturally jealous of him as well. And that's another cause for this, right? So through the course of the novel, we don't just get the kind of standard trope, ah, war is hell and it's, and it's, you know, going to make me crazy. And I, you know, I got my friends, you know, blood and guts all over me. He really delves down into that relationship and into the nature of the of the two to put together this really kind of complicated sort of uh, cause and definition around this descent into uh, into madness. So I thought I thought it was really very nuanced. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, it was nice the way it unfolded, because initially it's pretty clear he feels this overwhelming guilt anger that he couldn't put his friend out of his misery um, early enough. Right. Save, him, save him a few minutes of ex- excruciating pain. Then you think it is revenge against the people who, who did that to his friend. Then right. you find out that 
good naturedly. I mean, you never get the sense that it was there was any malice to it. Just like guys joking, but that the teasing about the totem may have just led to um, his friend being uh, trying to be a hero, right? More, more so than potentially exposing himself to more risk than he than need be. Um, and then you go back to about the last third of the story goes back to Senegal and the, in the times before um, they they enlisted. So, yeah, I like the way that kind of unfolded these multiple layers of potential causes for this guy um, doing unspeakable things to his opponents. And he will often come back to the trenches hours after everyone else has, hours after they've been, you know, the whistle blows to retreat at night with a German, well, a rifle and a hand. Right. And I did like, I, so part I like, not so much the whole, I couldn't kill my friend. I, I, that, that was all very good. It was all very, like you said, nuanced and kind of, the way it developed was fine, but I also like this concept of um, so he comes back with a right enemy rifle and an enemy hand. It's all kind of a big joke. Everyone slaps him on the back. He's a real killer. He took down he took down the enemy. He was staying back in no man's land far longer than anybody else. Right. And he does this three times, um, but it's the fourth time where people start to get uncomfortable and eventually start to kind of shun him. Yeah. Um, stay away from him. He often talks about how people would see him as a source, a soldier, soldier sorcerer. And I like the, um, I, I like this because it is kind of true. We need you just crazy enough. Yeah. To follow, you know, hear a whistle, get out of the trench, run towards machine gun nests, towards an enemy that's never done any harm to you, um, and try to kill them. We need you just crazy enough to do that, but we don't, re- don't bring it back to the trench. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that is like a, I mean, that is, that is like a very, like he tells it in such a personal way. That it really kind of hits home because I've seen stuff. I was watching something about World War Two, um, and it makes me laugh in a sad way every time I think about it. But the like the wives, parents, you know, close relatives, whoever the soldier lived with, mm-hmm. got letters a few weeks before their loved ones would return, and the letter said essentially. Your loved one, your your son, your brother, your your husband has been you know has been through a lot fighting over in Europe. He will need a few weeks to readjust. Yeah. So give him a couple of weeks. Yeah. To reacclimate himself before he goes back to work. He's like, yeah, take a week or two off and then right. get back at it. <laughs> and it literally it was a matter of like he needs a couple weeks. Um, yeah. And uh, I it just kind of makes me laugh at the idea that we need these we need to build these people into killers 
and don't seem often enough to have a very good idea what to do afterwards for them after they do what we ask them to do. Yeah. And this, this, this kind of reduces it to a very, like a one-on-one level, as opposed to what I just said, which was a documentary talking about this. Right. This really explains it well. It's like, eh, you're making us really uncomfortable now. You're, you're kind of like really crazy, and we just need you kind of crazy. And I, and I got to tell you, it, it's this was one of the other things about the the book that I I really I I agree with you by the way everything that you just said I think that's 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 spot on and I agree with with um you know I I appreciated those aspects of the book as well and and it but it also highlights to me some of the things again some of these observations I mentioned before the observations in terms of phrases that he uses to describe those dynamics. Like he says, temporary madness in war is bravery's sister. Yes. Right? Yep. Yes. I wrote that, that down. That's yeah. A good one. Yeah. And then, but then he and he follows it up. But essentially, but being mad all of the time. And this is the quote: "That's when you become the true friend of death," <laughs> which I yeah. thought was really, really good. And there are a couple of things like that 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 he also says um, he's talking about his companions in the trenches. He says, they play a role only when they crawl out from the earth, but I play a role only with them inside our sheltering trench. Um, Right. To describe himself as this kind of, you know, he has gone full bore, however you want to describe it, you know, madness, but, uh, and, and his and it's and it's also uh it's also wrong from right as you were saying you know we need you just mad enough right right (laughs) and he has this other great line where he talks about the hands and how they they don't like seeing the hands and he has this these great couple of sentences and just a, a well kind of shorten it a bit but he says it was impossible for them seeing the severed hand of an enemy from the other side meaning in the trench to keep from thinking and if it were mine to keep themselves from thinking i've had enough of this war (laughs) right so it's this it's this notion of that 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 if you allow what happens outside of the trench and that kind of madness to creep in back inside of the trent trench you'll lose control over the situation and he has this great line about the captain being a lover of war and he says the captain loves war the way men love a capricious woman (laughs) (laughs) the captain indulges war shamelessly and they're Um, both and they're both right yeah yeah you don't (laughs) You can't bring that back to the trenches because um, you won't be able to wage war. Yeah. And you need to wage war because that's what you're, they're doing. But you need to wage it that way, right? But I mean, you need to wage it that way. Yeah. And it's almost yeah. as if the first couple times he does it, it's like almost gallows soldier's humor. Right. Uh, like uh, in World War II, maybe most soldiers were less restrained but would still take you know, the, the Nazi armband, the flag. They yeah. loot the loot the soldier for the luger, right? But he's bringing back the gun and the hand, right? And <laughs> and the way you know he's not just kind of uh, he 
cures the hands like right. they're meat. Yes. <laughs> he salts them to preserve them. Yes. And this, as this is going on, it's he, he really is becoming uh, uh, crazier and crazier. And yeah. The way he uh, it takes care of the hands. I like the fact that he puts the hands in his foot locker, buries them there, but also puts a little uh, there's a almost like a uh, a tag on the foot locker and the tag's made of leather and he draws a hand on it. Yes. So when the commanding officer kind of says like, all right, we're going to send him for a little vacation, find the hands. No one goes in the foot locker. Right. Say, yeah, we checked. It's not there, <laughs> but no one almost like a, you know, I guess maybe a totem, yeah. uh, a warning, a, yeah. a symbol. And they start to see him. Um, I got the impression in the novel that uh, it was white and Africans fighting next to one another. Y- yes, I had. Which, yes, yeah, yes. which you I would not see. Well. Yeah, which you would not see in the United States Army until nineteen. What Korean War? Yeah, yeah. The, that's right. the I also thought the um, uh, I've read uh, a lot. So when. Stephen Ambrose became big, and everyone was reading those books in World War Two. And I read some stuff about you know I'm a I'm a guy you know I watched some documentary World War Two, read some books on World War Two, but then I just got fixated on like I find the French and Indian War extremely extremely interesting as a lead up to the American Revolution. Because like World War One, everyone was getting into the Civil War. I'm like World War One seems kind of I don't know enough about that. So I, yeah. I I remember buying a few books and reading and they would do that for cowardice. They would send the men who refused to fight into no man's land. Yes. And this is what happens in the book. There's a, a bit of a revolt. Yes. They won't go over the top when the whistle blows and the men are uh, hands are bound and they're, they're sent out into no man's land. Yes. Um, and that little bit of historical accuracy is chilling. And, yeah, and, and the callousness is chilling, right? I mean, it's 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 one of the few parts of the book that I noted that he, he didn't really, because it was such a personal story, you really didn't get any of the politics of no, what nothing. it meant, right? But I think that was the one part where you kind of got just a little bit of it, but only just a little bit of it. And it was not over the top. It, it was you just just the context he had to give you. I mean, that they were not from there. Right. And that comment of, you know, now you'll be French. Right. If you go and you do this, um, you know, you'll no longer be, you know, colonial subjects. You'll be French. Um, so you, and you'll get that. Was it your family? If you do this. If you go, if we're gonna send you out into no man's land to be killed, at least if you do that, your families will get their pension. Yes, and the, you might get the Croix de Guerre. Right. Uh, but if you hang back, we're just gonna shoot you, and and people will get nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a very very chilling. Yeah. Very, very chilling moment. Yeah. Very. There was another good. There was another good. Um, bit and again this 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 goes back to what i was talking about earlier in terms of the contrast between what you you know the kind of the tropes that you see or, or what differentiates his 
story from what you otherwise see because he has that other that that white soldier who's the only one who really comforts him when his when his friend dies um, Baptiste? yeah uh is it Baptiste? i i think it, yeah i think it i can't remember uh, yeah i, think I can't remember maybe. so he he his friend this white soldier is is you know kind of befriends him a bit and kind of joke and it with the first hand kind of jokes around with it or the first or the second i can't remember which what <laughs> he it? offers it for people to shake it yes that he, that he tells yeah. them all you've shaken the hand of the enemy you're all traitors <laughs> 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 but so he's this little prankster type you know not little he's a prankster guy and and he's good-natured and he helps you know he he comforts our narrator but then he gets a dear john letter yes Yep. The, the implication, I and mean, we don't know that for certain, but that's the clear implication. And he yes. goes into a funk and then essentially commits suicide by taunting the Germans too much with the severed hand, including by <laughs> the hand. putting it on his helmet and yeah. and running out ahead of everybody. Um, Giving them the f- middle finger. Uh, too, yes, right? right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Committing suicide. Um and so I thought, it would, again, going back to the difference between what our character is going through and some of those tropes that you frequently see, uh, I thought were articulated in those ways really, really nicely. Yeah, there's also, um, maybe not, now is not the right time to talk about it. There is, uh, when I was reading, I think I, it might have been Martin Gilbert's, I think Martin Gilbert wrote a biography of Winston Churchill's, but he also wrote this really good, Broad overview of World War One, the politics, the Eastern Front, the Western Front, the Sahara, what happened in the colonies. You know, all you know, kind of a broad, broad um, overview. And I think I think it was in that book where they discuss one upper crust young Englishman, you know, from Eton, from a good family, mm-hmm. um, and his kind of story. About t- towards the very, he'd been in the Western Front for for quite a long time, a year or two. Still alive, again was like the son of a baron or earl or do whatever. Pretty much had everything to live for. Uh, taking uh, at the very very close of the war, um, taking a machine gun nest. Killing the killing a German and the one German was left alive, and he he describes how he was just going to the German puts up his hands to surrender, and he's going to like butcher him, right? And the German takes out a picture, shows it, you know, just holds it up, yeah, and it's of a young lady, right? And he still describes like I I still did. It was a very you know you the, you would think the normal thing would be like. Knowing that this man, you know, someone loved him and he loved somebody else and I love someone and she loves me and I want to return like that. But it wasn't really that it was it, he said it was the act of um, because he still wanted to kill him. Mm. He, and he talks about the bloodlust. You're standing in the trench. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to go over the top. But once you're in it, um, some people just can't stop, especially those people who who had lost friends right. recently and everyone lost friends recently. Right. 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 Um, yeah. And he said it was, it w- wasn't so much like that kind of sappy story. It was that this man had the, still had the kind of um, 
will, you know, as I'm about to thrust my bayonet into his chest to reach into his reach into his coat and bring out a picture more so than you know the fact of the picture of that the, he yeah, has, yeah it yeah. was a very nuanced type of thing and he yeah. just stopped and then he just kind of like knocked the guy out and let them take him away it was a very weird you know because you get the romantic version as oh i can't do it yes somebody loves right but no it wasn't that it was this guy had the resolve to die that way um and he just couldn't do it. It was very weird. And it just goes to show you that that it, I'm sure that individual went back to England, was probably very successful. But the scars these men return with yeah. in a time when we didn't recognize yeah. that is it's just mind numbing to me. And after reading just a few books on World War One, I, I think I mean we can talk about it afterwards when we're done with the book, but maybe the biggest crime of the twentieth century. Um mm. I don't mean to compare it to the Holocaust that way, but maybe in a way to say like if this never happened, that wouldn't happen. I think in in terms of you know genocide is wholly indefensible. Right? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, no. Right. I mean, I'm not going to argue that. Right. There's no, it's never, right? <laughs> there's never a reason to do it that is justifiable. Never. Um, even in New Jersey. Even in New Jersey. Um, but war is frequently justifiable, right? It is a thing that we can look at and say, you know what, sometimes it's the right thing to do, right? Sometimes it, it's it the has last, to be done. Yeah, it's the last it is, resort. It is the last resort, and that is the thing that you need to do. And I think in the in the context of justifiable things that people can do, I think I would I would distinguish it that way, right? And kind of say, yep, that makes sense. Maybe I, I think, and and I don't know enough about what Stalin did in the twenties to really fully understand kind of the decisions that were made, the whys and what else was going on. But, you know, he basically murdered 20 million people in the Soviet Union through economic policies and, you know, the hoarding of food for various reasons. Um, And again, I don't know enough really about it to, to comment too much on it, but that would be the um, the only other thing that I I would say maybe you know maybe that as opposed to World War One. Well, I guess I'm just saying like uh, when you read about this stuff, especially about the diplomacy reading leading up to it, yeah, it was just such a clusterfuck. There were people trying. There were people in England. France, Russia, and Germany trying to stop it. Um, and so, so uh, there's two the Guns of August. Yep, Robert Tuckman. Yeah, and there's another one. And I can't remember the name of it. They talk about this diplomacy about what had happened, and all these diplomats are running around doing their job. Yeah, 
And so the English goes to the French and the French goes to the German. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to call this off. But, but on the other side of the fence was, for instance, um, I forget who it was. It was Germany or Russia. The railroad gauge was not right for their mobilization. The Russians. So they had to switch it. They yeah. had to switch it. And then it was like, well, we're mobilizing. So they're mobilizing we have to mobilize and then it got well all right if they're slow mobilizing so maybe if we it was how the war machinery took over in the face of diplomats trying to do it it was kind of like yeah we can mobilize faster they're still mobilizing but if we strike first we might it might be a a four-month war Instead of a you know a, a four year war, yeah, and all this it was kind of like they couldn't put they couldn't put the the mobilization back in, yeah, they couldn't put the toothpaste back in the. Oh, it was and, a but, failure of, and, and they all knew it was a colossal clusterfuck, and they still couldn't stop it. Some knew, some didn't. I mean, I think that because I do think that there is a while I, I think it's in a inaccurate to say people didn't understand what the war would be i think there were some people who did understand what the war was likely going to look like i think kitchener for example understood that this was not going to be one big decisive battle and that was that that it was going to be a long-term thing but i i think that there is a failure of imagination um and foresight the part of the leaders of these countries to understand what they were letting out of the, the bottle um, and a shocking uncaring about what, how, what they were doing was affecting people. All quiet on the Western fronts. Very good at kind of describing or, or showing the early days of the war and the enthusiasm. Yeah. Like it was going to be fun, yeah, <laughs> and it, it's going to be an adventure, yeah. And there's this really interesting story about um, there was a Rus Russo Japanese war in like 1912, I want to say. Yeah, like oh eight to ten or 12, something like something. that. Yeah. yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think it was oh eight. Yeah, and, and the Western powers sent observers, and yeah. they were using like the first machine guns, not like the Gatling guns. I know there was kind of like rapid fire guns before, but they were using machine guns. And the response, you know, when they got back with the reports, is like, yeah, uh, it's really not going to have a big effect on, on warfare. Yeah, and it was just this is like colossal, even to the point where like Archduke Ferdinand is assassinated. He for Habsburg was actually pretty liberal. Yes, and so that's ironic. Yeah. It's also ironic that when the assassination attempt first happened it didn't go nothing happened it didn't work right. yeah and the only way the only reason he was assassinated i believe the wife was killed too right yes yeah was um the assassin was walking down the street and the motorcade took a wrong turn yeah just well, all these... they, they went didn't they go to the hot because someone had th thrown a bomb at the car it <laughs> bounced <laughs> off it exploded some people got injured Welcome and to so, Croatia. Yeah, so the so the Archduke and his wife went to the hospital to look in on the people oh, who yes. were injured. Yes, and 
And that's when they drove by what's his name, who just happened to be walking down the street. Yeah, yeah, but I think they went to the hospital. But coming back, they also kind of they just went the wrong way. Yeah, they they happened upon one another. Yes, yes. And it was just like that. And then there was the story of so Austria Hungary gives Serbia its demands, and there's like ten demands. Yes. And then there's a story about afterwards. Where Austria says they won't meet our demands, and the Kaiser says, "We'll back you up. We got your back." Right. And then after the war, this someone tells this asshole, shows him the list, and he's like, "Well, well, no, those last few, no, no country could accept that. That that would have been wrong." Right. So did you? Re- it, it's just <laughs> this, like, like you said, this kind of uncaring, uh, moving chess pieces around without seeing or thinking about the the implication. Yeah. And the last thing I want to mention about the war is like there are still because of the recruitment kind of thing of like, hey, join up with your buddies. People, guys from the same village and town serve together. Yeah. And and there's still these villages and towns in England that still feel the re- repercussion when, you know, 80 percent. Of the males in the village between the age of 18 and 30 were killed. Right. Um, the re- the repercussions of this, this war, and I say it, it's the greatest crime, because I think it led to World War II. So it kind very, of mixed it all together. Very clearly, yeah, I think. But it was wholly unnecessary. Yeah. There was no good guy. There was no bad guy. Yeah. And it was this, this like, people let things spin out of control. It was devastating. Yeah. It was just a devastating war. Yeah, and it, was, and it was so devastating as well that just conducting the war resulted in, I mean, there was, there, there, it resulted in the Russian Revolution. It resulted exactly. in massive changes in the French government. It brought down, obviously, the German government. It, it brought down the Italian government. I mean, this, regardless of win-lose, right? I mean, these governments just simply fell apart. The colonial era began. I mean, it wouldn't fall apart for uh, you know a couple decades, but yeah. it also uh, you know started that. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so I didn't mean to want to get off. Yeah, topic, we could digress a little bit, but but it well, it's, it, it's still no, it, no, it's, it's still it's, relevant because I'm thinking about. Yes, I agree. I'm thinking about. Oh, just like even our Vietnam War, you take, you know, these poor black and white kids from Alabama, West Virginia, who can't get a college deferment. You send them 3,000 miles away to a jungle. They probably never even heard of the place before. Now I'm thinking of like 1915, 1916. You take this guy from some country in West Africa and you he's plopped down in Western Europe. Yeah. Um, pretty much the same. It's biz- like I'm gonna kill this guy, but he's never done anything wrong to me. He's trying to kill me. I'm trying to kill him, and I'm doing it for the people who run my country. Even though the people who run my country, you know, they're not us. It's it's it. It could contribute to the madness. How you one got there, right? Yep. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. It 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 is the it is really a the the, the there, there's so much going on with the First World War. It really is a fascinating, horrible 
period of history. I mean, just just so many things, and the and the numbers. I mean, this is the this is to me the the kind of the 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 thing that it gets me about it in terms of the the lack of imagination i mean you had you had the russo japanese war you had the boer the english had fought the boer war which saw the right. um yeah saw the the utilization of you know of trenches and you know colonial the, troops the colonial troops the 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 advantage you know to the defenders right um some of you know some impact and you know the 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 more accurate and devastating artillery you had the so Japanese war you also did have the American Civil War which by the end was trench warfare right I mean you know Richmond was surrounded by trenches right as Lee's army dug in and Grant's army dug trenches right around right around the the city so it, you know you had all of these things and uh, you had almost immediately you know, when that war started, you had casualty numbers that were extraordinary. And you had, um, you know, military strategy throughout the war that was based on this notion of, um, well, it's who's going to run out of resources first. And guess what? People are resources. Yes. I mean, it was, That's right. it was literally just, oh, well, they're, you know, they're able to, you know, replace, you know, 100,000, you know, soldiers per month. And, you know, um, we're only able to, you know, replace 80,000 per month. So we're going to lose this after two years. I mean, it was that, I mean, it was literally that callous of sorts of calculations that they were, that they were utilized, but you know, French and German. I mean, this, this was not, you know, this is and English. This was not, uh, you know, just one side or the other. It, it was right. just not... completely callous. And the numbers are just shocking. You know, 50,000 people in a day. Right. In minutes, right. you know, uh, just shocking. Just and absolutely the, shocking. the number of people lost fighting over, I don't know, couple acres of land yeah that really had no strategic value yeah so i yeah. in just to, but the idea yeah. of being a foreigner yeah thrust into all this as well right um kind of fascinating what now so so he sent to get getting back to the novel sure. he sent to he's given a vacation yes and i really like the line too about you know, if you have a problem with one of your soldiers, it's kind of easy to take care of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, <laughs> there was, a, there was a good line. It's kind of like very, it's a very practical way to handle yes, let your enemy, problematic soldiers. Let your enemy take care of it. <laughs> his commander decides he needs a vacation. She so goes to a French hospital in the rear for, for a month and uh, gets a little... Um, Possibly crude, but uh, some psychotherapy. He does. He's yeah. Drawing big, he's little, some pictures. And that's where, for me, this got like the most disturbing because. Yes. <laughs> there is an implication that he rapes and kills a nurse. I don't know if it's express, but I think you're supposed to at least think that is, it is rape and murder. Right? Am I? I don't. Did I misread that? I think you misread it. I don't think. 
number one, I don't, I'm, I'm confident it wasn't murder. But he talks about blood on her face. I thought he was talking about blood in his mouth. Or blood in his mouth. Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 that was my, my read is. Yeah. Now the more I think about it. Yeah. That, that, that could be, she's although she's moving, smi- her eyes smi- are closed. But she smiles at him. I, or maybe that was fantasy. I don't know. I, but clearly it was not he, a, it, it was he is a, the unreal. He is the ultimate unreliable man. Yeah, true. Fair, yeah. Fair, great which, point. Which we forgot to mention that mm. a lot of this is kind of like, yeah, we're reading the story of a madman by a madman. Right. Right. No, that's a, that's a great point. So, yeah. So I will. Yeah. So he, yes, he, it is it is clearly not a um uh uh you know uh you know in the rear um you know behind you know not on the front lines romance <laughs> going on it is it's not a yeah it's not you're not going out to dinner whining and dining each other no i mean he's clearly crazy i mean i think that's to me that's there there is a and it's this really interesting stuff. I don't know if you noticed this, but whenever he talks about, particularly in, in warfare, he talks about having to not do the humane thing in order to maintain his humanity. Yeah. It's this really nice sort of way that he describes the, you know, the, the kind of, well, this is what they're thinking and they're crazy. And this is what I'm thinking because this makes sense. <laughs> it's just, it neither makes sense. Right. Uh, so it's this, it's this really, really interesting um, way of describing it. But yeah, I mean, he, 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 what's really interesting about it too, is that it's set against these descriptions of childhood and what happened to him, you know, what happened to his mother. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I didn't quite, uh, although I enjoyed it because I got, what I think I'll assume is like Senegalese, Senegalese culture. I, yeah. I have to admit the those chapters. Uh, I didn't quite get it. So um, what I took from those, let me let me give you my theory, uh, or at least how I read it, and and yeah, I'd love to hear and it. it, and it kind of worked for me. So I think. All of those things are there to describe him, his friend who gets killed, and to help justify in his crazy mind what he does and and how he goes about doing it. And it's it's using his home and the moral standards there. He takes the right and the the culture and all of that, and he takes that. And of course, you know, twists it and turns it in, and perhaps makes it almost unrecognizable. Um, but he takes that as his moral standpoint and, and starting point, rather. And he, because he talks about why he's doing the things that he's, he's doing in the context of his own humanity, which I think he defines in the context of his home. And so the way I read all of that was as that kind of reinforcement of kind of where he's coming from and the difference between where he's coming from and the circumstances on the front, 
on the front lines. Um, even though, again, it becomes that humanity becomes some unrecognizable in terms of what he does. Right. I like that. But there was the interesting point where at the end, and I don't know if you want to go there yet, where you have suddenly the question of who is the narrator. And also, like, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too, like, English lit major on you. Yeah. Um, Could there be an interpretation that the narrator and his friend are the same person? I, I thought about that. I, I don't, I don't think so, but I think you could have the conversation. I think you could have the conversation. What I think is more reasonable and kind of what I took from those last couple of chapters, this was kind of how I I read the story, is that in his psychic detachment, right, at, you know, going through all of this, he, it's, he carves out, it's, it's psycho. He carves out a space in his psyche for his friend to inhabit. Yes. It's almost like he thinks... He thinks his friend has entered him. Yes. Yes. That, yes. That I think, that I think is a, a like a more straightforward interpretation of, of what this, this crazy dude is doing. Yeah. In a, in a way to keep him alive. Yep. And in um, his own mind to keep him sane, right? Because he's done these yeah. horrible things to his friend and now he's giving his friend the space to be able to do things like have sex with a woman, right? Because his friend never had sex with a woman. Right. So his friend was able to have sex with the woman. His friend is able to have this body, right? The strong, handsome body, right? And right. so he he gives to his friend a piece of himself so that his friend can have some of that. That's, that's how I read it. And I, and I got to tell you, cause I was kind of reading. I was like, okay, wait, what's going on? Exactly. And then it kind of hit me and I said, Oh wow. That. And I thought that was really, really good. That had a, I, I felt had a real impact, at least on me as I was reading. Yeah. I think that made, I think that made this, I think, I think that twist made the story. Um. Yeah, because it is—it's about his love for his friend. I mean, the whole thing in—it in is way, a romance in a lot of ways. Yeah, it really is, and 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 a lot of his, the stories about his childhood, right, the loss of his mother and the love of his mother. And there's a really simple line, by the way, just again turning the phrase, really simple line, because his mother, go, who's essentially given to his father, um by someone else. I won't go into the details, you know, to be his, his wife is much younger than um, she was much younger than his father. Um, she's always, you know, pining away for her family who are more nomadic than, than his father. And eventually she goes to find her, her, her father who, who hasn't come back in a long time and she disappears and nobody really knows what happens to her. Um, so he loses, right. It's that, that loss. And he there's this, piece together that it's more likely than not just maybe captured by like Moorish raiders. Yes. And sold into slavery. slavery. Yes, yes, yes. And there's this great line which which is um, like my father, as soon as she left, I began to wait for her. 
just I just love it. It's just something really nice about that line. But in any event, so that happens. He has his this this friend, and this again is a cultural thing. I don't quite understand this woman that's his childhood friend, and because they're really close culturally they're not allowed Fairy. to marry right no that's what i was going to ask you i read it as because i think he actually says they're whatever it's a clan a tribe uh however because i was, did do a little reading about like senegal apparently was for what it's worth on wikipedia yeah okay. um senegal was basically um it's clannish tribish yeah um there's even like different tribes with different languages and things like that. And he says, um, whether it's in Senegal in general or his tribe and specifically, um, people in the same age group aren't allowed to marry. Oh, it's even in the same age group. Uh, Age group. uh, Okay. And I took that to mean like, you know, as like uncomfortable as I always find this is like, yeah. Older men marry younger. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 So you got a little touch of um, possibly some, at least for that, that tribe. And ironically, um, in the, I think it was the 14th or 15th century, there was like an empire there that was like a confederation. It wasn't done violently. They kind of, they kind of all joined together, and like the first emperor was a Diop. Oh, really? The last name was yeah, D I O P, like the like the author, like the character. Yeah, interesting. Um, but it was not a uh, military conquest. It was more like banding together to join everybody into this like um, what they would call an empire. Right. Yeah. So anyway, um, so so all that stuff. Getting back to my main point. I think all that stuff, all those experiences that he had um, are demonstrative of his, uh, of a, of a loving existence, right? That love permeates all those stories. And so at the end, when he carves this space out for himself, at least as I read it for his friend to give his friend those experiences, right? That he wasn't able to have it really made this story both intensely personal, right? Which we've talked about before, but also one based around those, you know, very strong um, uh, emotions of friendship. Right. That was really, I I really liked that. The other thing, this guy was, um, his friend was such a good friend. He was educated. He went to the French school. He spoke French. Right. Um, Despite he was, despite being the nerd on the beach, um, he was the guy who was educated and they were going to open up a store together and that's right. Yeah. Make a lot of money. And they were going to use that money to find the mom. Yes. Um, And that's kind of what a, what kind of a good friend. um, It just kind of made me like, that's a good friend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who's like, his his goal in life to use his skills and talents and things like that is to it was this kind of like um it's not dwelled upon it's not a big deal i think it might have only been said in like a sentence or two but it it kind of lets you know uh this really weird relationship because um they were not relatives and i, I was never sure exactly why he 
essentially became a part of his friend's family. Why the father allowed that? I, I, it, it wasn't I, clear to me, but that the what the the what I understood was is because his father had saw lost... the mom and him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the father, the father had four wives. He had four and wives. So the but mother he really loved the, the mother, mother of right? the, the mother. Yeah, the mother of this the narrator was the youngest wife when right. he was very old. Right, and apparently the the narrator kind of resembled physically maybe even personality-wise, resembled the mom. So it was kind of a constant a constant reminder. Yeah, I really liked this. Um, uh, it was a, not a fun read. That's not the right word. Yeah. Uh, but it was well done. I'm always, I'm always wary. I'm never sure what I'm getting with translations. I'm not yeah. such a, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not such a, like, uh, I'm not such a snob where I feel like I have to learn Russian to read Dostoevsky, I get it. Um, but you never quite know kind of what you may be missing in the nuances of the language. Yeah. But for what it's worth, I mean, not knowing French, um, I thought the translation was probably pretty good because it was able to kind of hit on a lot of nuances and and things of that sort, and also toss in what was the phrase? It was it was starting to annoy me. Um, my more than brother. No, well, no, the other by God. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. But apparently yeah. that that refrain was also part of the God's, Senegalese God's truth. Yeah, by yeah, God's truth um, is a thing. Or w- at least was a thing because we're all, we are talking about um, well, Senegal, yeah, a yeah, hundred years ago. But apparently, that type of repetitive, almost like um, yeah, like the, a chorus or a or the, a the oral poet, yeah, yeah, with the oral poets, kind of the way they remember things is there's kind of there's kind of templates, right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. There's <laughs> kind of yeah. So um, no, I'm glad I read it. He won a um, a book award or two for this. Yep, 2021 International Booker Prize. Yeah, I was wondering, and maybe I'm reading too much into this. So, one of my favorite works, even though it's a it's 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 a it's it's a slog at times, is Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And in Heart of Darkness, we have a European going into the Belgian Congo and I, I however you want to interpret Heart of Darkness pro-colonialism, anti-colonial I, I don't want to get into I don't even know, I, I can't even have that conversation because I have no idea um, but the savagery of the dark continent I mean he's going down river with cannibals yeah. Um, the, but the, but then you have a a white man who has gone. You have Kurtz, um, who's got human heads, you know, on the posts surrounding his the interstation. Is it about the savagery of Europeans? Is it about 
savagery of how Europeans see Native Africans in the Belgian Congo? Is it both? But this is almost like a reverse because Mm. uh, the way he describes Senegal, not that it was like Eden, but it sounds kind of nice and peaceful. Yes. It's kind of like going along, doing their business. Um, But instead of going to Africa and experiencing from a, from a European's point of view, the, you know, quote, when I, and then when I say savagery, I, it's in air quotes. Yeah. Um, you have a, somebody from the savage continent going to supposedly an extremely cultured, civilized world and, and experiencing, uh, I just, I mean, what, World World War One, maybe World War Two, experiencing probably some of the greatest savagery ever. It almost struck me as a little bit of a reverse heart of darkness. Interesting. That yeah, I could yeah, just I, a thought. I, yeah, no, I I kind of I like that. I think that that makes a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to that. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's something that struck me. Because the life in Senegal, frankly, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you work in the fields, you're hanging out, you're getting the mats and the food and the drinks ready, and you're going to hang out with your friends that night and talk. Yeah. And then, you know, it's warm, the weather's good for the most part, and he's doing this. and the Very, very kind of, it sounds very peaceful and laid back for the most part. And then you're sent to the the cultural civilized Western Europe. Yeah. And it's just blood drenched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the worst savagery you'd ever want, you know, ever want to see. And I, you know, it'd be, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to know if, if he has to have read Heart of Darkness, it'd be interesting to know if it, if, if it, um, you know, impacted him end this story i don't know it was just an idea i it's a it's a fair question and i was thinking about it too i don't think i had quite as nuanced a um uh, a thought about it but i was thinking about it because i do think it is you know it's kind of hard not to draw some of those lines in reading this um, and see it as a, uh, I don't know, an anti, right? <laughs> uh, right. Heart of darkness. Um, yeah. Yeah. I it's, think that, I think that, I think that makes sense. I think there's a lot there. Yeah. It's not specific enough like heart of darkness in terms of all the colonial powers who had agents and things like that. And right. But it's just kind of, you know, we think of some of these places as um, less than well, civilized is a charged word, cultured. Yeah. In the way that, w- you know, we are, but um, they, and, and, you know, there's no reason to romanticize the, um, the various nations and states and tribes and clans in Africa. They could be brutal as well. Yep. But the life depicted in Senegal, don't pluck me from that to send me off to war. 
yeah to, to kill other europeans for you thank you very much yeah <laughs> now um i i'd like to so if anyone's interested in i always found like world world war one lends itself i think to these um books that uh just give you an overall kind of uh, like a survey of the war Mm-hmm. And there's one by Martin Gilbert, and I think it's simply called World War One. Mm, okay, and it's got some oral history in it. It's got some very um, stuff that. There's a really good line there too, where a young, a young officer serving in Turkey, an English officer serving in Turkey, um, goes um, talks to his um, essentially. He's from an upper crust family. He's an officer, young, you know, these guys. I mean, what, like, you were the old man when you were 23. Right. Right. Um, but he goes to talk to his fellow officer's father, who's another, like, you know, lord, and says, you know, well, when did you see him last? And he said, um, the last I saw him was jumping into a Turkish trench with both his pistols drawn. And I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> What what were we asking these people barely out of college to do? You know what I mean? Well, they they think they're immortal still. Those are uh, the only ones you can ask to do it, right? Would you do it <laughs> at your age? <laughs> I think I would have done it if I was drafted or joined. Yeah, the, right. The, but not yeah. if you're not if you're forty, right? Not if you're fifty. Not if you've got a family, right? Not if you've got kids. Not if you're thinking about those things. That's why we want our soldiers to. Not be Not when you're um, old enough to know the government's not always right, <laughs> 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 or has my benches set up. So Martin Gilbert's book is really good. It goes from I mean, because there's so much here. It's it's it was a world oh, yeah. war. Yeah. And even though skirmishes in say Africa or the Far East were small compared to Europe, there's still a lot of interesting things going on. And you can do like, there's Lawrence of Arabia and the Desert War, yep. and there's Eastern Front, Western Front, there's the politics. The and there's also, the and the Navy, and the air, like air war. Yep. The advent of air war. And there's also a, a guy, uh, these are older books, but they're still good and relevant. There's a guy named Stokesbury who wrote at least, I actually have all three, and it's Pretty much called, uh, there's a short history of World War II, a short history of World War One, and a short history of the Korean War. And it just gives you a broad overview of what was going on in uh, the Alps between the Italians and the Austrians. Oh, and right. What, yeah. yeah what, there's all sorts of things going on here. Brusilov um, offensive, yeah. Yeah, all, all sorts of what's going on in the Balkans, what's going on in Turkey. And uh, like I said, the, the, um, Arab tribes trying to unite to, to get rid of the Ottoman Empire. So those are all kind of good books. And I find it they're good for World War One because a de- I, I've read a couple more specific books like on the Battle of Somme and it's just yeah. huge groups of people running at each other being gunned down. Yeah. And vice versa, and then the officer class and the commanding class kind of having their heads up their ass. Yeah, it's it's not all that it's just not all that interesting. Yeah, I think but Robert o- Tuckman's book, The Guns of August, is really good. 
Very um, dry in an English way, but very informative. Yeah, yeah very dry but informative. Um, I think it's good as well. And I think there, John Keegan, who's a military historian. Yeah, that's right. I have wrote a right a one right which which I've read which I which I liked. And then for people interested in the navies, I wrote this. I wrote I read this great book called Castles of Steel by a guy named Robert K. Massey. Yep, which is about the the navies, which the is dreadnoughts. Yes, yeah, the super dreadnoughts, and and you know goes through, of course, and talks about the the um, you know the arms race associated with navies, the importance of the navies at that time, what they did, how they functioned, and then of course goes into detail with the the uh, Battle of Jutland, which was the defining you, naval engagement. You planned. Yeah. 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 Um, yes, I, I don't have that, but I, I remember seeing that. Um, yeah, no, it's an interesting time period. The everything from the politics to the diplomacy to the war and to the interactions between the um, Western powers and their colonies and what I mean. And we, I mean, come on, probably one of the defining moments of the past 150 years the creation of the Soviet Union coming directly out of that, uh, the first world war and the fall of czarist Russia, the revolutions that were, I mean, it's probably it was, the most important thing that happened that came out of that, that war. Yeah. And we don't really talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's not really studied and, you know, in all fairness, I mean, it's confusing. <laughs> it's, it's not only confusing, but, um, we more grew up with World War II events. Yeah. And yeah, at least right. there, you there was a good guy and a bad guy. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. And, That's a great point. Great point. And World War One is just sad. Yeah. There's really no evil. You, you, you can try to vilify the Germans, but it's hard. It's right? hard to really college, do that. College, yeah. college yeah. age Germans going to the front. Yeah. They're not wearing SS uniforms. They're not. That is, <laughs> that is like almost a decade away. Yeah. Um, and they're just yeah doing what they're told to do. We're doing what we're told to do. I mean, and it and, wasn't it wasn't a war of you know we're going to exterminate anybody. It was, it was a war that resulted from a Victorian age worldview. Yes, that's and Victorian that's a good way age, to put it. And Victorian age diplomacy. That's a good way to put it. With modern weapons. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which real and then you got countries like um uh Italy who's like switching oh, sides. Yeah. Wanting a slice of this, a slice of that. Um and because I read this, I went back and I um, I began rereading A Soldier of the Great War by Mark oh, Halpern. Yeah. Yeah, have yeah. you ever read that? Yes, I have. Yes. I would love to talk about that. Um, it's a completely different book. It's, it's, oh, yes. It's, yeah. It's not. It was. I was thinking about it, though, like in terms of. And you're right, though. It's funny. Like, we don't know where uh, at night all blood is black. We don't know where it takes place. We yeah. don't know what year it is. We don't know what war it is. Um, you can piece it together. It's not, you know, it's not, I don't think he's trying to be 
clever that way. No, that it could be World War Two, but um, uh, you know, it's it's a but it is a piece. I you know, I would consider it a piece of World War One literature. Yeah. Um, and the same with the Soldier of the Great War, but different, much different way. Yeah. But um, I'm glad I read it. I yeah. Don't think I'll read it again. I might read. I might read about it if in in upcoming years people do kind of essays on it or talk about the author's writings. Yeah, I'd be interested to read kind of interpretations, thoughts, and and criticisms and critiques and things like that. It's a yeah. It's a book. I would. I this is one of those books where I would actually be interested to hear what a a real you know academic. Liter- literary academic would say about it like a trained yeah lit- literature professor what's the foreshadowing i miss what are the things connecting this to that you know what all those all those things that probably i well not all of those things but you know the things that i've missed or or different interpretations right as to as to what it is that you're seeing exactly yes what what he's actually you know quote actually talking about kind of stuff uh and there's stuff in there you know that his description of the trenches as you know the female sex organ kind of stuff which we didn't talk about but the, you know, and and the whole inside out and the difference between men and women and it, it, there's a there's a lot there that we didn't talk about which i didn't fully understand why well he was talking about some of that stuff and well i mean i don't know about you i i finished this on friday uh-huh. yesterday um, this is not a book that I've like read three times. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of that stuff. Uh, a lot about doubles. Yes. Doubling things up. Yep. Um, yep. That I just, it just hasn't seeped, you know, yeah. seeped into, you know, uh, unconsciously into, into my, I will tell you this though. You want to hear a story? About how this book got to me. So, what is it? It is today is Saturday. Sorry. So Thursday night, I was sleeping on the couch to keep my golden. He's so cute. So I like to keep him company because he gets lonely. Mm. So I crashed on the couch. Wake up in a cold sweat. Cold sweat with tears in my eyes, which never happens. Wow. Because I had a nightmare, and the nightmare was I was part of a government agency. Who was at like interagency warfare with it? Like, it was like some <laughs> faction of the CIA <laughs> against another faction of the CIA. I don't know why. I'm not even sure where that came from, right? Yeah. But um, I am being like chased, and there is a golden retriever by my side who is hit with like gunfire and is really kind of wounded. Oh, no. And I try to put it out of its misery. And it doesn't go you well. You just make it worse. Like, it is like crawling after me, whimpering. And I woke up and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, <laughs> where the hell did this come from? And it took me, it took me a couple hours. And then finally I told my wife, I said, oh crap, is that fucking book Dale had me read? <laughs> about, do you put it out of its misery? Don't you? And stuff like that. And I tried and it really fucked it up. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it wormed its way into my subconscious that way. But for for a while there, it wasn't like, where the hell did all that come from? And I'm like, 
Holy shit, I was just reading a freaking book. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just know, I'll, Br- I'll just say one other thing though, um, sure. uh, on uh, on the book and and revisiting it or revisiting the subject. So there is a movie made in 2023. I believe it's a French movie called I, I have no I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. There's the word for the Sengalese troops. Yeah, the yeah. rifleman or whatever it is. It was made in 2023. And it's a U.S. version or the English version is evidently called Father and Soldier. It is not a, a making of At Night All Blood is Black. It's a different story. Um, but it is about Sengalese soldiers fighting in the, in the First World War. And it coincides with some fairly recent... Um, acknowledgement by the French government, right, of the contribution of these soldiers to uh, the war effort, which evidently was long in coming. Um, so if people are interested in, you know, maybe a different um, fictionalized version of that experience, that movie, maybe, I, I know nothing about it, so this is not a recommendation, but it might be something to explore if, if you're kind of interested in that, in that period and that experience. And I actually think I might try to go dig it out. And Yeah, I and might as well. I like the World War I documentaries and movies. There was a term for these guys, right? It began with a T, like yeah, Tirelliers. Tirelliers, yeah, and I think it yeah, loosely translates into like riflemen or sharpshooter or something like that. Right, and they're old. They go back to like the 1850s. Yeah. This was not a new thing for World War One. Right, it wasn't like they just went out and drafted people because right. of the war. Yeah, there was, yeah, and they, they were, were existing. Very good, apparently very good soldiers for the most part, and yeah. um, they also, the Senegalese uh, men also took a bit of pride in being part of the riflemen. Um, so it's all very complicated. Yes. Very, very, all very complicated stuff. But glad I read it. I, I think this, um, I hope uh, this is one of two novels, I think. I, yep. I, I, apologize. I should, yeah, I, I'm, I would, I, I would read, um, I would find out about his next one. If he writes an, another novel, I would look into it. Um, I thought it was well executed, very different, and um, you know, job well done by this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Um, all right. I think I'm... it was just a tough go. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, I it's guess not a lighthearted read. If you want nightmares about, you know, not being able to kill your wounded dog. <laughs> Read this uh, book. Not just a dog, a fucking golden retriever. That's right, a dog dog. I think yeah. I could have put my, I think I could have put one of my sons out of misery quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Not a golden retriever, though. I mean, yeah, you know, I got another, I got two other kids, but I only got one golden retriever. <laughs> uh, but I guess you know what? I uh, hats off to him because. Uh, you know, it was a, it's it's, it was effective. It was not, you know, yeah. was not meant to be a lighthearted romp, and it certainly wasn't. But it was effective, and by not wanting to reread it again anytime soon, I think is a um, a tribute to its effectiveness. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't out of um, mediocrity. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That I, that I don't want to read it again anytime soon. But um, yeah, I'd be interested to see. When he comes up with it, I, I also like personally kind of piqued my interest in that 
the, uh, that part of Western Africa to maybe learn mm. to learn a little bit more. Kind of for, for listen, you know, for a white guy from New York State, kind of probably maybe slightly better than average. Under my cousin actually dated uh, uh, the daughter of the ambassador to Upper Volta. Goodness, which is now I forget what it's called now. Um, so I actually had some great conversations with her because she lived over there for a few, off and on, right? A year here, two or three years there. And it's a very interesting place. Um, and uh, I'd be uh, some of the things in the in the story kind of piqued my interest. So there was a thing before we leave I thought was interesting: the story about the father. Who grew various crops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was great. Um, when the magistrate, the African magistrate, not like colonial magistrate, the the um, yeah. indigenous magistrate wanted everyone to plant peanuts. Um, and uh, the father stood up and said, you're not going to like what I have to say. I will plant some peanuts but not you know turn my all my fields over to peanuts it was just a kind of this discussion about the the french wanted peanuts planted for some reason so they went to the magistrate and it was a kind of a uh kind of a hint of he doesn't you know what i liked about this he doesn't beat you over the head with colonialism no but that was kind of a hint of colonialism because he says, like, hey, listen, uh, sometimes times are good. Sometimes times are bad. But if times are bad, I got some extra rice. I got some extra wheat. I got some extra corn. But you want to buy all my peanuts? And when times are bad, what the hell am I going to eat? Right. But for whatever reason, it was a big cash crop. For the European powers, um, who kind of put the put the squeeze on the magistrate, who was putting the squeeze on the farmers, so he interlaces just as. And I needed, I had to look that up. You know, kind of like, what, what the hell is this all about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about the European push to. Um, to more peanuts. turn everything into cash crops. Oh, to turn everything. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Wherever different cash crop, depending on where you were. Some, right. you know, Somalia would be different than Senegal, but that was the push where most of these guys who needed to survive were like, I got a little bit of this, I got a little bit of that. You know, times are tough. I'll give that to my neighbor. He'll give me some of this, and when times are lean, we can survive. What the fuck am, am I going to do if my entire crop is peanuts? Right. But the push for the cash crop was on. So he interlaces that. But it's just not heavy handed. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah. And I really uh, like that about it, too. That that yeah. it was. Yeah. I really like that about the story. Really yeah. deft touch. Yeah. Not. And frankly, um, not to sound like a privileged white guy, but if this was a anti-colonial screed, it would probably lose its its effectiveness as um, he happened to be a Senegalese soldier, but it's universal. Yep. 
and I think that's kind of the strength of it is yep. that it he's created something he's written something that's that's universal and not specifically tied to a time a place um and things like that so yeah although it does it certainly is enhanced right i mean i think that the as you were saying before you know someone from africa getting yanked up and stuck in the middle of europe to fight somebody else's war using a different language right it's it's crazy and um and it was there, right? Definitely in the Absolutely. story, but it it wasn't over the top. It didn't wouldn't beat me on the head. It was no, I, this is so unjust. In fact, there was very little of oh, this is so unjust. He never actually. There's no rant against right. the French. Yeah, yeah. There's no rant against the enemy. No, because his his viciousness towards the enemy is entirely personal and humane um, and, in it and from his perspective and humane from his perspective <laughs> <laughs> from a crazy man's perspective but it's never yeah it's just there's no politics in this yeah direct there's no direct politics right right which is nice because you yep. know as well as i do that if this was written by a a a woke american <laughs> there would be this like heavy hammer coming down yes you're all bad, yeah. blah 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 blah. So, but this is something that could stand the test of time. Yep. So. Yep. All right, man. That was fun. Uh, well, you know, interesting. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Glad we did it, and I'm glad this one worked out. I'm glad we both we both liked it. Both found stuff to talk about. This was good. Absolutely, and um, I think our next book. Uh, what are we doing next? We're gonna do Julian. Works a ring. Whichever you all tell right. me. That's it. Let's do Julian. All right. Sounds good. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.